Okay, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'd like to welcome you all to the Daily Energy Markets podcast. It's February the 2nd. I'm delighted to be joined today by Adi Imsirovich, uh, who is Director of Surrey Clean Energy uh, and uh, Senior Associate at the CSIS, Narendra Taneja, India's leading energy expert, and Richard Rodolia, CEO of Matrix Global Holdings. Thanks so much, gentlemen, uh, for joining us. We haven't seen you since our Energy Outlook Forum uh, at the start of the month of January. Um, great to have you with us. We now are at the end. We finished Jan and uh, into Feb, very much into the first quarter of the year. There's our question from yesterday, uh, which is talking about the geopolitical premium that is uh, already factored in to the oil price. And 45% um, of our audience said that less than $5 um is 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 how much is currently marketed which is which is quite a lot adi let me start uh with you good morning again um we saw opec as well uh having their meeting yesterday and just sort of reconfirming the current status quo but for the last few weeks everyone i've talked to uh almost i'd say without exception has said opec's got to extend at least to the second quarter the cuts that are in place uh, the voluntary cuts, um, and yet they didn't really signal that yesterday. So, what does that tell you about their thinking? Well, what 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 it tells me. Good morning, uh, Dale. First of all, and and thank you for having me. Um, back to OPEC. Well, it's it's very hard to um to to actually fathom what what OPEC is doing right now, simply because uh, they're very contradictory. Um, what what they did yesterday was a, a vote of no confidence in their own um, projections of demand. So yeah. the first question is, well, what, what are you doing? Uh, you're saying that demand is going to be great, but actually you continue your cuts. So demand is not quite there. Um, uh, in, in, and in other words, I think this is all they can do right now. Um, I don't think they, they, they've got the political will behind uh, prolonged cuts. So I think if they did that, it would very much create a backlash within OPEC already we've got at least a couple of members like Iraq and UAE sort of are producing more than they were supposed to be producing. To be fair with you, uh, uh, even the Saudis are actually probably not cutting as much as, as, as they should. Uh, the numbers that I've seen uh, were about 400 and about less than 500,000 barrels in, in, in real effective cuts. So that's not very much at all. And if you take into account Libya that was out with a couple of hundred um, that the, there's hardly any effective cuts um, uh, implemented at all. So all we are seeing in the in in, in the market at the moment uh, during the rally was the anticipation of the uh, U.S. rate cuts, which I think is going to be having a real impact on oil prices if and when it happens. If it will happen this year anyway, and what we are seeing the situation the the temporary or permanent or whatever they are. Um, uh, the, the risk premium in the price regarding the, the Red Sea situation. And I totally agree with your listeners. I think we have less than $5 um, in there. The reason, I think we've talked about the reasons before, uh, that there's no there's no oil in Palestine. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the ships uh, in the Red Sea, they're basically, we're not losing that output. All we are getting is, is, is probably slightly longer couple of weeks uh, longer trips uh, to, to Europe and Asia. So uh, we're not losing any oil as a result of that. It's a nuisance. Uh, the, the, the prices of insurance and, and shipping are higher. But again, uh, at the end of the day, at the pump, it translates to a few cents a barrel. So no big deal. 
Okay, thanks, Adi. Richard, let me go to you there, talking about the pump. Uh, and let's talk a little bit about the US economy, uh, 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 because we've had a few comments again on those who are sort of bearish outlook on demand are actually pointing the finger very much at the US now going forward rather than just China, et cetera, that the indicators there uh, that are coming out, the data that's sort of seeping out already is 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 not looking as strong as it did last year. Uh, we did have the Fed yesterday also signaling that this is the end of rate rises, at least, and kind of clearly saying there will be a trajectory down. So what does that tell us about the outlook for demand and prices this year? And, and you know, are people justified in saying that the U.S. economy is going to now finally start showing a little bit of retention, uh, retreat, if you like? Well, um, Powell came out today in the, in the journal and said that do not look for a cut in their next meeting. Right. So they did mm. come out and say that they they are concerned about letting inflation show up again. Um, you know, I always kind of go back to the OECD and the OECD kind of GDP energy demand ratio. And it's low. I mean, what, what you know, what is the U.S. actually going to do? What is what does lower demand look like? Is it 100,000 barrels? Is it 500,000 barrels? I'm not sure what that number is. Uh, the bigger thing that happened was the freeze a couple a week and a half ago when we shut in a million barrels of crude and that caused the market to rally. That's really, I think, partly where the market rallied from. Uh, he makes a good point about there is no oil in the Middle East under the war right now. Um, it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to be short and have something go boom, though. And that's, you know, we've seen those reactions over time, and that makes people cautious about having on speculative short positions. So I think the U.S. is in a transitory spot right now. Um, you know, remote, mo most of the economic activity I think we're seeing is government-led, right? It's not like we're seeing tremendous economic activity. We're seeing government spending. And so our, if, I'm not sure you're aware, but our, our deficit went to $2 trillion this year, and the interest on our debt's now a trillion dollars. So we're finding ourselves in a very difficult spot uh, down the road. Um, to me, though, going back to that million barrel cut, and 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 the point about what where where uh, what OPEC is doing, I think OPEC can talk out of both sides of its mouth. OPEC again is being told ten years from now that people don't want their oil. That's what they're being told. We don't want your oil ten years from now, and so you know you need to kind of come along with us. I think the IEA and the EIA are showing their demand forecasts to kind of talk about what they want, and OPEC is saying what they think their demand forecast is. But they're acting, and I made a good, a very good point. They don't have to, you know. You know, they could say what they want to say, as long as they maintain um, some kind of cut, some kind of discipline. And I think OPEC Plus will remain, will continue to maintain discipline from here on out. You know, at one point, will it get? Will uh, will we see a change in their uh, their outlook or their out approach? I don't think so. I think that they're going to try to maintain a price uh, in the seventy to eighty dollar for Brent for as long as they can. But as it comes back to the U.S., I, I look at the U.S. and think um, our demand is going to fluctuate in a very small band. Um, it's mm. going to be an election year. Um, I think the bigger numbers are really, I think the bigger questions in the U.S. is what's our supply going to be? What yeah. do we expect out of supply over the next couple of years more so than the demand? Okay, we'll talk a bit about that later as well. Thanks, Richard. Narendra, uh, back to you. Let's talk a bit about prices. that Richard just said the $70 to $80 uh, price band people we've talked to have kind of been in that range the last you know in terms of average they expect for this year but we had somebody on yesterday who said they expect wti to touch six the mid 60s again they're much more bearish outlook india's perspective there going forward um 
you know, how what, what's the projection for for the economy going forward? And, you know, are, is India now sitting back quite relaxed that prices seem to have settled in comfortably below $80? Uh, and is there any indication for you that they could go above that? Well, you see, as far as India's economy is concerned, you know, we had our national budget presented in parliament only just 24 hours ago yesterday. And the projections are, you know, India will continue to grow in the region of about seven, uh, you know, seven percent per annum, and that uh, means that you know it's a very good news for the, you know, today we are three point seven trillion dollar economy, and the target is that over the next three years to become a five trillion dollar economy and seven trillion dollar economy by twenty thirty. So twenty thirty, just you know, six years away. So that's the target that the government seems to be working on, uh, which means the economy is very strong, very robust. Demand for everything is growing, including oil. And, uh, what and about that, Russian Russian oil? Because that has dropped quite a bit, hasn't it, since we saw the highest. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, we have been buying oil from Russia because they had they have been offering very attractive discounts. So if they continue to offer, you know, attractive discounts, we will continue to buy from Russia. Uh, you know, we don't look at the nationality; we just look at the price because we are heavily dependent on imports. Eighty-seven percent of our total requirement is imported. So I mean, whosoever offers us, you know. Uh, you know, discount, we will go there. Even a country not very friendly to India, China, they offer us that kind of discount. We will buy from China, Pakistan, X, Y, Z, any country. It's all economics, no politics there. But coming to oil price, you know, the uh, India Indian economy is comfortable as long as Brent is in the region of about, you know, 78 to $80 per barrel. We don't. We are not going to complain too much if this kind of oil remains between, let's say, seventy dollar to eighty dollar per barrel, and uh, uh, because we look at the whole thing more kind of in a different, in an integrated manner. For us, political and economic stability in the Middle East is very, very important. We have roughly eight to nine million Indians working in the Middle East in the GCC region, and uh, economies are quite integrated. And political stability in the Middle East is very, very important for us. If the price for that is that, you know, oil has to be in the region of $80 per barrel because the Saudi Arabia needs it, because Iraq needs it, and some other countries in the region needs it. And if the trade-off is that in return, our companies get more business, more Indians can go and work there, and there is a political stability, then it works for us. I mean, we factor in all those things as well. So we see right now that, you know, situation has escalated. That makes India very uncomfortable. But so far, we have seen limited escalation. As long as kind of is contained and Saudi Arabia and Iran can continue to talk and we don't see this war going out of control, I think India is fine. So Indian economy, anything between $70 to $80 is Indian economy have already actually absorbed it, adjusted to it, and is India's comfortable. And as you know, if you look around the world today, India is a country that's basically where the demand for oil is going up and will continue to go up. We are pushing renewables high. India is doing extremely well in terms of renewables, but that's not happening at the cost of oil. Demand for oil at the same time continue to grow. Yeah, and coal, I suppose, is in that mix as well. Adi, let's talk a bit about, um, I mean, I want to touch on China uh, and the outlook there. Um, you know, we talked, we'd asked Richard about the US and give us your your sort of feeling of what the market's feeling about China, it feels more negative to me than it has done even all last year from the sort of sentiment we're talking to people about. But also in the context, uh, I wanted to ask you about OPEC 
uh, and market share concerns going forward. You know, we had um, obviously the U.S. production figures that came out at the end of last year. Some people were saying you have to look at those a bit more closely. But, you know, will um, will that be sort of one of their main concerns this year going forward, how they manage things with the sort of proof that non-OPEC supply is on the rise? Right. Um, well, China, uh, difficult one. Uh, China is the most important uh, single factor in, in, in terms of oil demand in the world globally. India is very important up and coming, but, you know, uh, India is still a, a minnow uh, in, in terms of uh, de demand growth. Uh, three and a half million imports. Um, if, if demand goes up by you know, 5%, what is it? It's not very much. It's not going to save OPEC. It's India, really, that it's uh, China and the Chinese growth. In the past, there was a, adding over a million barrels per year that was really uh, helping the oil market. Uh, the projections for this year, for next year, are probably not more than half a million barrels. Everyone is waiting and seeing. It's 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 a difficult situation uh, that, chi that uh, China is going through very much like the sort of it is a subprime situation while the subprime in the US got resolved very quickly through um through basically uh the, the banks going bust and and then government stepping in uh in China it seems to be that um these additional stimulus stimulus uh added to the to the market is actually turning situation more into sort of Japan like uh slow uh, yeah, very so, slow yeah. and bitty. But just, I mean, Ali, just from an inventory point of view, I mean, the prices today, if you think, okay, there's there's going to be a rise in oil prices, why wouldn't China be looking to beef up its inventory? Where does that stand at the moment? Well, it's it's difficult with with Chinese inventory. It's it's a bit of a black box. We 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 don't really see it. I mean, there are estimates, and and the estimates are the Chinese stocks are pretty high. So I don't think the China that China is going to step in, especially with the current economic situation. To, to buy too much, we do see um, uh, uh, teapots have, have actually stepped up some some buying very very recently uh, to put to top up the uh, the inventory with low cheaper cheaper oil. But at the moment, with the Red Sea situation and and and, and a bit of uncertainty regarding what's going on, I think uh, the, the the price uh, is is probably still too rich for them. Uh, going back to your question on OPEC. Um, it's 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 again. I'm I'm really not sure what what OPEC is doing. Um, I I certainly wouldn't advise them to do what they're doing right now. Um, all I'm seeing, for example, um, as, as Narendra rightly pointed out, India is growing, but you know, a country like Guyana can actually cover that increase alone. Yeah. Uh, you've got you've got you know the latest data from from Canada is very very positive. We've got a new pipeline to the west being uh, completed to supply Asia. Uh, you've got U.S. production going from strength to strength. Um, you know, why is, we've got excess capacity in, in Saudi Arabia alone of three million barrels. Uh, nobody in the market is actually concerned about it uh, in spite of the Red Sea situation. So where, where is OPEC going? I, I think the only hope for OPEC is, is increase in demand. But uh, everyone is just looking around and saying, well, where is this demand going to come from? Yeah, um, yeah, that, that that certainly is the big question. Thanks, Adi. Um, Richard, just let's talk a bit about the US again, but this uh, just unpick this LNG sort of export freeze for us a bit that Biden came out with. I mean, uh, is that a clever move by him, i.e. with the plenty of supply at the moment so he can afford to sort of use that in, in an election year as, you know, I'm doing something for the climate, you know, but but clearly uh, it's, you know, it's in... Yeah. 
So tell us it, what your perspective is on that. It's it's uh, you can't. I, I I've said this before. I I don't. I think U.S. energy policy is is um, uh, impossible to unpack. Um, you're it, it's um, it's impossible. You're stopping LNG uh, plants, which take years to build the pipeline, and the infrastructure, and and then then on the ones on the on the ex on the export side, then on the import side, you need to get your customers to sign five and ten year contracts. Your allies, which you've you know we have we have no more Nord Stream pipeline. When gee, what happened to that? I think that I find it interesting. No one ever discusses that ever again. But the Nord Stream pipeline no longer exists, and so now you're telling the allies you no longer are going to supply cheap LNG. Um, countries like Pakistan and other countries. Is that, who would... is, that, is that really true? I mean, or is it just, as I said, you know, uh, just a very temporary political move of saying that? Everything they do, everything they do. They're not going to their LNG ev- production, are they? Well, no, they, they, no. Well, if if uh, Democrats get in, they were they will continue to delay. I think under Trump, it took seven weeks to get an LNG pl- export plant built or at least permitted. Now it takes no time, right? The, the plant that's in place is no longer going to be in place now. Um, and so what's going to happen? Who are the two largest, uh, I think two, some of the largest projects are coming online. One is in Russia, I think it's called the Arctic LNG, LNG2, and then there's another one coming um, out of Iran. So you're stopping the building of LNG plants in the most highly regulated area of the world to buy a product, uh, to buy a, uh, using a feedstock, which is readily available at a cheap price in the United States to sell to your allies at the same time and when you do that you allow your quote enemies if you want to call Iran and Russia our enemies you allow them to build the LNG plants to sell to the other parties in the world if you believe that's logical there is no there is no logic there this goes back to the Keystone pipeline you stop the Keystone pipeline from being built to go to the most sophisticated refiners in the world instead now you build the Trans Mountain pipeline which is going to go through the San Juan Islands and it's going to go to the refineries outside the US which are less sophisticated so Biden's energy policy is they're chasing their tail. I believe that they continue to, to to make mistake after mistake. And this LNG is to be one of the classic mistakes so far. It's an easy one. Let us sell LNG and help our balance of payments, sell it to our allies, do so at a competitive price that puts pressure on Russia and Iran and continue to do that every single day. And we're not doing that. Yeah, and that price pressure is an interesting point because it is pressuring Russia, isn't it? In that sense, uh, 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 Narendra, just back to you and talking, you know, talking again about India, but putting aside Russian oil, what about Iran- Iranian and Venezuelan oil? <clears throat> Excuse me, which sort of trickling its way into India via via various routes, I suppose. Last year, nothing too official there, but uh, does India care about that going forward? Seeing as those 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 exports have have had a loosening sort of sanction policy on them, let's say from the US, at least so far. Um, your outlook for that, does it matter to India? Well, there, uh, you know, there are no sanctions against Venezuela uh, from us, from India. And no, story- I mean, the US sanctions and, and how that's impacting flows of those groups. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the fact is that, you know, so we have now, we are now negotiating with Venezuela. We are also negotiating to invest in ENP in Venezuela. And we have, you know, recently, you know, uh, imported a few parcels uh, from of oil from Venezuela, and that's likely to continue to to expand in coming over the coming months and uh, you know years. When it comes to Iran, Iran is the closest country to us in terms of geography, you know, uh, for buying oil, 
and we have traditionally been buying a lot of oil from 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 Iran. In fact, uh, two major refineries are were initially customized for Iranian oil only. But then we decided to follow the United States and other countries in terms of sanctions. That's geopolitical because we do not want, like many other countries in the West, that Iran acquires nuclear weapon capability. We have no other issue. But Iran acquiring nuclear weapons would have a kind of cascading effect, uh, geopolitically speaking, and that would not be in our national interest. So therefore, we support the West. However, uh, now we have kind of our foreign minister was in Tehran recently, and uh, we have we have you know now looking at it can we buy oil from Iran and maybe not directly maybe through spot market or through some other uh, you know third country some other arrangements and it seems that there is some progress in that direction and it seems that the probably the the you know uh, US is going to be a little bit comfortable with it because let's not forget one thing the China's presence and influence is growing in Iran and the US and the West is very uncomfortable with that and so is India. So it's basically more geopolitical that we do not, we would not like to see see Iran uh, becoming a kind of, you know, energy or economic satellite to China. That's not in our interest. So we want Iran to be kind of a little bit to enjoy, so uh, you know, strategic autonomy, uh, politically and also in energy. And therefore, you know, we are, uh, you know, looking at Iran importing oil from Iran. Let's not forget one thing. Only yesterday, our finance minister on the floor of parliament reiterated India's deep interest in constructing an economic corridor from India to the Middle East via Israel to Europe, which, as you know, is also heavily blessed by Biden administration. So which means that, and it was reiterated yesterday, despite what's going on there in terms of Hamas and Israel and Red Sea and Forget Syria. Forget that, it's not important, huh? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. No, so, I mean, yeah. I mean, so we have to be realistic, but that's probably it, been, yeah. been, been delayed a while now. Uh, for... so it has been reiterated, and that means that you know uh, that means that Iran is, as far as India is concerned, the the picture of Iran has begun to change a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and of course, people are watching very carefully. Honestly, what may be happening, even behind the scenes, as we speak on 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 a supposed uh, uh, ceasefire that may 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 happen. Uh, there's our survey question for today: non-OPEC production and market share will be the predominant concern for OPEC plus uh, this year, yes or no. Uh, last year, it sort of crept up on them, I would, from what our impressions are, and, and obviously is, is, is a reality going forward. We've talked about that already today. Adi, um, let me just go to you. Let's talk a bit about, um, we mentioned it at the top of the hour, which was uh, freight. Obviously, this rerouting, it's not doing much to the oil price, but of course, it's doing a lot to the cost of freight and shipping, insurance, etc., and it's impacting things like diesel, isn't it? And diesel rates and, and our give us a, a projection going forward on that on on the products market and 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 you know what could happen there as a result of the shipping redirection. Yeah, I mean product products market is particularly uh, badly hit simply because that you've got these arbitrage flows, especially with the with the war Russian invasion of Ukraine. You've got generally Europe is an importer of of distillates. Uh, especially diesel, they they come from the Middle East, India, from Asia, basically east of Suez, and that's impacted quite a lot. Uh, and the freight rates have gone up probably easily three, you know, seventy seventy five percent up. Uh, so you're talking about on on sort of crude oil equivalents of freights up to up to you know four dollars a barrel higher. Uh, so it's not insignificant. Uh, that the point I made early on, it, it is still manageable because we we do see four dollars a barrel increases 
overnight sometimes in the market uh, resulting from uh, other events such as geopolitical um, and and uh, macro events so it is it is significant uh it's it's not great but uh, again um the, the market is treating it as a sort of um you know temporary situation what what worries me a little bit about regarding those costs is is actually i don't see a resolution to this situation in the in the red sea i just don't see how it's going to be resolved because the sort of uh, the us and, and uk pretend that's got nothing to do with palestine and and it, it does and then you know iran and their their sort of um um, the, those who serve their interests uh, obviously do, and 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 I just don't see a resolution. That one of the reasons why why it's not having a major impact in the market is that a as as Richard said because of the U.S. election and b you know Iran I think are, are sort of sane enough to realize that they're going into any kind of conflict with with U.S. U.K. with and 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 Israel would would be lethal for them. So they're all backing off and they're all just using their proxies to stay in this conflict. But it is worrying that in the short term, I actually don't see how it could be resolved. So it's going to uh, carry on. Um, so, some people have more solutions than others. Saudis, fortunately, uh, do have a, a port uh, in the north of, of the Red Sea where, where they have been exporting maximum amounts of close to 600,000 barrels a day. Um, so, you know, there has, there have, we haven't seen any major disruptions so far, uh, only delays and somewhat higher prices. And this situation just kind of lingers on, uh, unfortunately, but it's just kind of not particularly good for anyone. No, no. And it's clearly, uh, you know, it will come to some kind of head soon. I would say either it's going to escalate or, 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 or we're going to hear some other news. Richard, from an, you know, let's talk a bit about that, uh, from a U.S. election year point of view um you know let's not talk about the candidates too much but really this has become a huge headache hasn't it for biden has he miscalculated uh, clearly this a lot of this activity we're seeing is us driven at the end of the day because of its backing of of, of israel uh and in, in this war uh and and clearly things were going to escalate as a result how much has has biden thought that through do you think and how much of a surprise of a headache has it become for the U.S. now election year, there's conflict here. Well, they, I'm not. I, I'm not. I, I, yes, it's U.S. backed, but I think Israel is going to do what Israel's going to do. Um, Biden and, and do it U.S. backing, can it? That's the reality. Well, I, I, you know, then we could do a whole geopolitical. I mean, yeah, well, do I think they could do with? Do anyway. they? Do, could they do it without the U.S. backing? I, I imagine they could. They could. I would imagine they can get weapons from anywhere or do anything. I don't. I don't think yeah. that's the question right now. I think the question. I'm not sure you're aware of what's going on. And the big bill that's trying to go through Congress right now is uh, a bill that's on immigration. And so in that bill for on immigration, um, the only reason the bill is being pushed is there's a hundred billion dollar Ukraine. Um, piece to it and a $60 billion piece for Israel. So uh, in, in, in a normal world, I would think you'd split our immigration bill where 8 million people have come into our country illegally and into this, into this defense bill. So um, I, I don't, again, I don't, I think uh, Biden is between a rock and a hard place and I'm not sure if he knows which way to go. Uh, so I think it's difficult. I think the questions that are going to come up um, have to do 
with inflation, with the price of energy. Those are the things. I think the war is, uh, I mean, a very good point. There's, we, there is no solution. You know, the, there is no solution. The solution will be what it'll be, and I am not in a position to tell you what what, what that solution is going to be. Um, how it relates to price, what, it, what, what I think the markets are doing, I think the markets are telling us one thing. The curves remain backwardated. The curves are still backwardated in every different, pretty much every category, and they stay, and they, and, and they are persistently backwardated. So to me, that's very important. That to me, no matter what we believe, and I listened to some of the talk over different po- on the podcast recently, price is going to $40 and $50. I think it's hard to get down there. I think that um, OPEC, and Adi, I tend to disagree a little bit. I think OPEC is going to do what it's going to do. In my life of watching OPEC for the, the number of decades, they've always cheated. They've always cheated. That so, always breaks down. 85, 92, 80, 96. Someone always breaks down. I'm not sure they could afford it. I'm not sure that so, someone's going to go out and start to produce too much unless something really comes out here and forces it, be it be a Russia increasing its production and, and forcing Saudi to the table. But I think that the reason they're doing what they're doing is that they can tweak it down by half a million barrels, 600,000 barrels. Um, and keep this price elevated. I think that's the goal for them is to keep this prices elevated for as long as possible. Naranda makes a very good point. India is going to do what it's going to do. It's the largest democracy in the world. It has to look out for itself. It has to buy the cheapest oil it can, and it wants to make sure it's doing it with the right partners. Okay, thanks, Richard. uh, Naranda, I'll let you have the last word, and we didn't ask Adi about this in terms of Europe either or Richard, but Richard just mentioned inflation. Um, There we go. There's the result agree um that will be the predominant uh that's interesting 83 percent um just on 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 the point of inflation around just to close up on that i mean it's come under control uh in, in europe and the us i think most analysts would say surprisingly they got it under control quicker than they thought they would both in the us and europe any concerns in india about inflation do we see anything i mean with with the boom and the economy that's happening no concerns there right with prices well, in, in terms of, yeah, but in terms of domestic, I mean, uh, situation, actually inflation is very much under control. And if you look at the latest data of the last quarter, the, you, you know, inflation has gone down. And, uh, and the, there seems to be kind of political response to it in the sense that, you know, people are not complaining as much as, let's say, they were doing 12 months ago or a year ago and so on and so forth. So I think overall, when you look at the inflation, when you look at the you know, uh, borrowing and you look at the GDP growth rate, uh, I think it, it, the picture looks uh, pretty attractive. And that's what makes India today a very hot investment destination. And that's why practically everybody is coming here and uh, the, and things are looking. Uh, you go travel around the country and you see development, you see cranes, you see projects, you see airports, you see, you know, deep water ports and all these things are coming up. So I, 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 I think if we really have to look for kind of hope come to India. That's kind of landscape that we are enjoying today. But that said, at the same time, what the biggest worry for us is today, the geopolitical situation in the Middle East. We're not talking too much about what OPEC would do or what they'll manage to do, because our sense is that, you know, they might, countries like Saudi Arabia might want $93 per barrel, but we want Saudi Arabia to succeed in terms of their 2030 agenda. It's good for us. And we would like similarly, for instance, Iran to come out of the darkness and join the mainstream. That's good for us. 
and we do not want Iran to be so heavily dependent on China, for instance. The similarly, as you, many of you may not agree, we also want Russia to continue to enjoy, you know, strategic autonomy. Russia slipping into the Chinese lap is makes us very, very uncomfortable. And therefore, when the West says, don't buy oil from Russia, we say, oh, you're not able to see the big picture, which we are able to see. So, but our very second biggest worry, which you also referred to in the earlier, uh, you know, part of your program, is China. China is a worry in the sense we know, uh, we share a long border with China. We have known China for thousands of years. And our worry is that China right now, their top leadership is focusing on politics and Marxism ideology. That has become their uh, uh, priority. And if in the process, for instance, the economy suffers, I think they probably are ready to pay that price because yeah. they want to go back to their Marxist roots. If that happens, and that creates problems in, in within China in terms of economic growth, unemployment, so, social you know instability and all that, that's not a happy news for us because we share a long border. If you go by the history, whenever they have internal issues, problems, they open up a border with some other, some country. And, you know, uh, look, just go by the history. So I think there are many concerns. We want China well, we want them to continue to grow, but at the same time, what is happening in China internally, especially in terms of their internal political agenda, that makes countries which share long border with China a little bit more uncomfortable. I know from the West, they are only looking at data. They are only hoping that they, they are basically started missing the old China when the growth rate was 10% and demand so high and everything. But look China closely, look internally. China internally oh, yeah. is changing. Pay attention. No, I'm sure to the West is watching very closely geopolitically what China is trying to achieve, especially the US. And uh, that's why it may be creeping back into, into the region as, as, as we speak. Uh, Anyway, we'll continue to watch that story. Uh, and uh, thank you so much, gentlemen, Adi, Richard, and Narendra for joining us today. And have a great weekend, everyone.